electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, The Oracle of Omaha. One minute. No, you're good to go. Good morning. Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger answer investor questions at the annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting. You can tell that we like to talk, so what could be better? (laughs) With our own Becky Quick as moderator. This Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting is a really big deal. I wore masks, brought my hand sanitizer, and dove right in. The two investing legends explain unloading some of Berkshire's massive stake in Apple. That was probably a mistake. In fact, Charlie, in in his usual low-key way, let me know that that you thought it was a mistake, too, didn't you, Charlie? Yeah. Buffett defends his investments in big oil. It's a very tough time to decide what what companies benefit society more than others. I mean, it's I don't know whether... I think Chevron's benefited society in all kinds of ways, but I do think that the world's moving away from them, too. And he and Munger weigh in on the SPAC attack. SPACs have been working for a while, and you see a famous name on it, you can you can sell almost anything. It's an exaggerated version of what we've seen in in kind of gambling gun type market. They're buying it because the advisor gets a fee. And of course, the more of that you get, the the sillier your civilization is getting. Plus the 90-year-old Berkshire Hathaway CEO with news on his successor, inflation, and of course, Robin Hood. There's nothing illegal about it. There's nothing immoral. But I don't think you'd build a society around people doing it. It's Monday, May 3rd, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. I'm producer Katie Kramer. And today on the podcast, you'll hear Becky Quick, as well as Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin, take you into the highlights of the annual Berkshire Hathaway shareholders meeting. CEO Warren Buffett and his longtime investing partner, Charlie Munger, have run this conglomerate for decades. And in that time, their annual event has developed their reputation as 
Woodstock for Capitalists. Think music festival slash influencer conference slash family reunion. Owners of Berkshire Stock also get the chance to have their questions answered directly by this pair of famous investors. In this typically hours-long event of the two men holding court and cracking jokes is the highlight of a weekend of steak dinners, a 5K race, a newspaper tossing challenge, shopping for products from Berkshire portfolio companies like Brooks Running and Kraft Heinz. But this year, like in 2020, the pandemic has forced shareholders to stay home. One minute. No, you're good to go. Good morning. We're all set. Yeah. This weekend, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger were seated together at a table set with, ready, C's candy peanut brittle and Diet Coke cans, the essentials, in a Los Angeles conference room. And our Becky Quick was there in person. Becky, you actually traveled somewhere this weekend? Tell, tell yeah, me believe what, it or not. <laughs> tell believe me about going not, someplace. <laughs> I like ripped the Band-Aid off in a big way. This is the first time I've flown in uh, 14 months, I think. So yeah, flew out to LA, stayed in a hotel. Oh my God. Ate at a restaurant outside and um, was around people. I wore a mask, brought my hand sanitizer uh, and dove right in. Tell me about the virtual Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting this year. What did it, what did it look like compared to past years? Well, you know, if you were watching on the screen, it probably looked very similar to past years, just without the massive crowd shots coming from behind. It was Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger on a stage, center stage, blue curtains behind them with the Berkshire signage, just like you would have seen back in Omaha at the big convention center. Uh, This time they had Greg Abel and Ajit Jain, the two other vice chairmen of Berkshire Hathaway on stage with them. Of course, Greg Abel runs all the non-insurance operations at Berkshire and Ajit Jain runs all the insurance operations there. And those guys are really hands-on. So it was good to have them there, but it was um, really something to see all four of those gentlemen on stage together. There's an unlimited market for our remarks. We'll go yeah, I, I've, I've got a, a, an endless supply of questions. We won't run out of questions. She's, she's, yeah. she's, she's counting out asking the wickedest questions later, so I'll, I'll lower the false. Yeah, I, I will tell you, there are no slow balls this time. You haven't talked in so long? Expect lots of fast pitches. <laughs> This Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting is a really big deal. Usually you have 40,000 people there. You have all of the directors. You have all of the managers of the 60-something companies that Berkshire owns. Um, A little bit of a Lollapalooza sort of feel to the whole thing. So this is three to four hours of questions sent in by the tens of thousands of Berkshire shareholders. And this is the first time that we have heard Warren Buffett's thoughts on the markets and on particular stocks really in more than a year. It's really the the first time since last year that he's spoken in any kind of specificity. Uh, One stock I want to talk about in particular is Apple. Uh, He sold just under 4% of Berkshire's massive Apple stake in last year's third quarter. What did he have to say about that choice this weekend? (laughs) Basically, oops. Look, what what we went through last year was really a phenomenal um, once-in-a-lifetime situation. Warren Buffett's father was alive the last time that there was a a pandemic back in 1919. Um, Nobody's seen anything like this since then. And, uh, you know, I I think there were a lot of moves that took place. And and looking back on that, you know, on that sale, 
Buffett said that 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 Charlie was probably right. And that was probably a mistake. He thinks it's an incredible company. He had high praise for Tim Cook, the CEO. Um, You know, he pointed out that Steve Jobs, nobody could do what Steve Jobs did in terms of innovating. But he also thinks that it's often overlooked that he doesn't think Steve Jobs could do what Tim Cook has done done in terms of building that company and and really making it the powerhouse it is today. Uh, So he had high praise for the company. And even though they stole, I guess, about 4% of the Apple shares that they hold, he pointed out that they own even more of the company now, in part because Berkshire has been buying back shares. So that increases each shareholder's percentage of the Apple portion that they own. And then Apple has been buying back shares through over that time. And at, at the end of the quarter, I think they had 5.4% of the shares outstanding of Apple. That's a huge stake, 5.4%. I think on Friday's closing price, that values it at about $119 billion. And it is by far Berkshire's largest stock position that it owns. Um, And that's a a stake that they acquired pretty rapidly. He first started buying the stock, I think, back in 2016. So over the amount of that time, it's gone on to become the biggest stake that the company owns in anything. And this is a company that owns tons of American Express, tons of Coca-Cola, Um, all kinds of other stocks, but Apple is now the largest position in Berkshire's portfolio. We got a chance to buy it, and I I sold some stock last year, although our shareholders still had their percentage interest go up because we repurchased shares, but that was was probably a mistake. In fact, Charlie, in in his usual low-key way, uh, uh, let me know that that you thought it was a mistake too, didn't you, Charlie? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it, I could only do so many things that I could get away with, with Charlie. And I kind of used them up between Costco and Apple. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, and it, uh, incidentally, he probably, I, I'm, well, I'm, he very likely was right in both circumstances. It's, it's an extraordinary business. But I do want to emphasize that uh, in his own way, it's a different way, but Tim Cook is – we we see a lot of managers of a lot of businesses, and you're looking at two great ones on the both ends here. Uh, he's handled that business so well. One kind of stock that Berkshire does not own at all are the airlines. Uh, that's a choice yeah. that he made in 2020 as well. Talk about a tale of two 2020 sectors, Apple versus yeah. airlines. Yeah, he he owned large positions in four of the major airlines, and he sold them almost instantaneously, it seemed, during the height of the pandemic, when air travel went to zero. I think there were so many questions about what it would mean. Obviously, that was one of the industries that was in a complete freefall. It had to go to the, the federal government to get subsidies and support. And a lot of people have criticized you know, why they sold in that moment instead of doing what what Buffett has long talked about. And that is to be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others were fearful. Obviously, there was a lot of fear in the markets. Um, If you look back just over a year ago, back to to March of 2020, as things were really hitting and then into March and into April of 2020, um, he laid out a reason that I had not heard him vocalize before that I I hadn't thought of before. He said, look, when you have an incredibly wealthy shareholder and an incredibly wealthy company as a backstop, you know, with Berkshire being the biggest shareholder in so many of those airlines and only like 10% of the airlines, um, he thought that the government might have behaved differently and not 
given money, at least as much money to the airlines, if you could say, go ask your biggest shareholder for this money. Don't ask us to bail you out. Berkshire's got plenty of cash. Go to them. You know, the company has like $145 billion in cash on hand right now. Imagine if Berkshire was a 10% holder, which they had been of everyone in the airlines. They said, say, get them Berkshire. <laughs> I mean, it's, it'd be like one of our, they would have had, they might have very well had a very, very, very different result if they'd had a very, very, very rich shareholder that owned eight or nine percent. Uh, and they didn't have that, uh, you know, when they went in. <laughs> so our, you might not have gotten the same result. In fact, I would, I would think you probably wouldn't. I mean, I can just see the headlines now. I mean, they, you know, because you've seen the headlines on some companies that took a hundred million or two, you know, and really didn't need it. And some of them gave it back and most of them gave it back. Uh, but you were look, you're actually looking at it probably at a different result than if we kept our stock. One item of business in Saturday's meeting, Berkshire shareholders rejected a proposal requiring the company to disclose more about its efforts to address climate change. This comes as a growing number of institutional investors like BlackRock and pension funds like the California Public Employees Retirement System have been calling for companies to adhere to good environmental, social, and governance principles. Answering a question about whether Berkshire's purchases of Chevron stock indicate he thinks climate change concerns are overblown, Buffett said he would, quote, hate to have all the hydrocarbons banned in three years. It wouldn't work. And for showing the figures about carbon footprints of all portfolio companies, well, he says it's asinine. It's a very tough time to decide what, what companies benefit society more than others. I mean, it's, I don't know whether, I think Chevron's benefited society in all kinds of ways, and I think it continues to do so, and I think we're going to need a lot of hydrocarbons for a long time, and we'll be very glad we've got them. But... I do think that the world's moving away from them, too, and, and uh, I, that could change. Uh, I, I, I don't like making the moral judgments on stocks in terms of actually running the businesses, but there's something about every business that if you knew what you wouldn't like, uh, and uh, uh, you know, meat packers or anything. Have you ever gone through a meat packing? <laughs> you know, it, there's, it, if you expect perfection... You know, in your spouse or in your friends or in companies, you're not going to find it. You talk about three of our companies and you've covered 95% of it. Uh, and it's asinine, frankly, in my view. Now, we do some other asinine things because we're required to do them. So we'll, we'll do whatever's required. But to have the people at, you know, Business Wire, you know, Dairy Queen, all these places – Filling out reports to make it some common report that comes in. We don't do that stuff at Berkshire. We've got during the during the pandemic, we probably have about twelve people to come into headquarters, and we've got you know, you know three hundred sixty thousand people working in in a company that that all kinds of diverse activities, and and it's built. I don't want to get in the whole thing. It's, it's built on autonomy. Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, neither one of them is a fan of SPACs. True. <laughs> <laughs> I believe, I believe he said, I believe Buffett said, if you put a gun to my head, maybe he could find one that he liked. Yeah. He said his, his problem with the SPACs is that it, you know, look, it's where the money is on wall street and it, and it's where that money flows. But his problem with it, I think was that, you know, a lot of these SPACs have a two-year time frame for when they have to spend the money that they've taken in from investors. You tend to overpay when that's the situation. You tend to reach. 
And I, I think he and Charlie both look at it as something that's been distorting that market valuations when you have all of that cash that's in there. Well, it's, it's a killer. The SPACs generally have to spend their money in two years, as I understand it. So they have to buy a business in two years. If you put a gun to my head and said, you got to buy a big business in two years, you know, I'd buy one, but <laughs> it wouldn't be much of one. I call it fee-driven buying. In other words, not buying because it's a good investment. They're buying it because the advisor gets a fee. And, of course, the more of that you get, the sillier your civilization is getting. And to some extent, it's a moral failing, too, because the easy money made by things like SPACs and total return derivatives and so on and so on, you push that to excess, it causes horrible problems for the civilization. It reflects no credit on the people who are doing it and no credit on the regulators and voters that allow it. So I, I think we have a lot to be ashamed of in current conditions. One fear factor in the market now in spring 2021 is inflation and rising costs. What did Buffett have to say about inflation and the potential for greater inflation? <laughs> that it's here? Um, you know, he said that inflation is something that they are seeing pretty red hot in, in Berkshire's companies. They see it in terms of the cost that they have to pay for things like steel and lumber. One of their companies is a huge home builder. Um, their costs are up incredibly across the board. Um, and, and then they see it in the prices that they pass on to their customers, too. Um, as a result of all these higher inputs, they in turn have to turn around and raise their prices. Maybe it's on you know, the BNSF or someplace else, but Maybe it's for the price of carpets, for the price of bricks. Anything that costs more money to make is going to then have to turn around and get a higher cost passed on to the customer in terms of what you make on that to cover your costs. So when you hear them start describing it like that, it it makes you wonder how transitory inflation actually is. That's the Fed's view, that, that inflation is transitory and that this will pass kind of like a pig going through a snake. Um, but when you see prices coming higher to cost for the companies, companies passing those on to customers, like we heard from Coca-Cola last week, like we heard from Procter & Gamble last week, that they're going to be raising their prices. It's not too often that you see a company roll back prices once you know that takes hold. Once prices go up, the next question is, when will job... Uh, when will wages go up? Because as wages increase, that's what really kicks the whole cycle in. Once people are making more money for, for their jobs, they can afford to spend those higher prices. And that's when you really get on the flywheel for inflation. Um, they didn't comment on where that stands, but they definitely said they see inflation in, in the prices their companies pay and in the prices their companies are charging. We're seeing very substantial inflation. It's very interesting. I mean, it, it, we're raising prices. People are raising prices to us. And it's being accepted. I mean, it's not... Uh, if we get... Well... You know, take home building. I mean, you know, the cost of we've got nine home builders and uh, in addition to our manufactured housing thing and then uh, operation, which is the largest in the country. So we really do a lot of housing. <laughs> the costs are just up, up, up. Steel costs, uh, you know, just every day uh, they're, they're going up. Warren Buffett has been investing for decades, bought his first stocks when he was 11 years old during World War II. And he was asked this weekend by shareholders about the current massive interest and influx of money by retail investors in the stock market. Well, the stock market, we've had a lot of people under the casino in the last year. You have millions and billions of people have set up accounts where they day trade, where, they, where they're selling puts and calls, where they 
uh, I would say that you had the greatest increase in the number of gamblers, essentially. That, and there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with gambling. And they, some, they got better odds than they've got if they played the state lottery. But they've, they've had cash in their pocket. They've had action. And they actually had, you know, have a lot of good results. And, and if they just bought stocks, they do fine and held them. But, but the, the gambling impulse is very strong in people worldwide. And occasionally it gets an enormous shove. Uh, and, uh, and conditions lead to this place where more people are entering the casino than are leaving every day. And it creates its own reality for a while. And nobody tells you when the clock's going to strike 12 and it all turns to pumpkins and mice. But the, when the competition is playing with other people's money or whether they're, and if they're playing foolishly with their own money, but they, the big stuff is done with other people's money, <laughs> uh, they're going to beat us. So is midnight about to strike for trading platforms like Robinhood? Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger were asked at Saturday's meeting how no-fee trading is changing the game. This question comes from Robert Miles in Nebraska. The trading apps, what do you think about Robinhood and other trading apps or fintech companies enabling all ages and experience to participate in the stock market? Charlie Munger, he is from an older generation of investing. He didn't hold back. That is really waving the red flag at the bull. I think it's just god-awful that something like that would draw investment from civilized men and decent citizens. It's, it's deeply wrong. I do want to see how concerned about how they handle the source of income when they, they say they, they don't charge the customer or anything. I mean, it, it, uh, you know, uh, uh, it'll just be interesting to watch how they describe it. I mean, it, but, but they uh, have attracted maybe set out to attract, but they have attracted, uh, I think I read where 12 or 13 percent of their, their casino participants were dealing in puts and calls. I looked up on Apple's, you know, the number of seven-day calls and 14-day calls outstanding. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of that is coming through Robin. And that's a bunch of people writing. They're gambling on the price of Apple over the next seven days or 40. There's nothing, you know... There's nothing illegal about it. There's nothing immoral. Uh, but uh, I don't think you'd build a society around people doing it. Here's Becky on our TV broadcast this morning with Joe and Andrew. Robin Hood responding to some of those comments. A spokesperson said, there's an old guard that doesn't want average Americans to have a seat at the Wall Street table, so they will resort to insults. The future is diverse, more educated and propelled by engaging technologies that have the power to equalize. Adversaries of this future and of change are usually those who've enjoyed plentiful privileges in the past and who don't want those privileges disrupted. Their criticisms are unfortunate, but they prove why Robinhood's mission is, in fact, critical. The new generation of investors aren't a casino group. They are tearing down old barriers to investing and taking control of their financial futures. Robinhood is on the right side of that story. In the meantime, CNBC has confirmed new revenue numbers from Robinhood. The company generated $331 million in payments for selling the order flow during the first three months of 2021. That's up from $91 million in the same quarter last year. But guys, I think this gets to the whole point of, of what's happening. Robinhood may say they want everyone in there, and, and I'm sure that's the case. 
And I don't think Buffett and Munger are criticizing the idea of other retail investors coming into the market. They've long wanted people to invest. I think their criticism is when you are buying and selling on quick order, when you're betting what happens to the price of the stock over the next week or two, that's a very different scenario. I don't think they think anyone can actually time the markets, even professionals. And I think they think if you want to make money and and have that wealth be safe and preserved over time, it needs to be something that is done with a long-term horizon. They've, They've constantly tried to get new people into the markets. They just don't want them doing it on a quick order, jumping in and out. That's where I think they they worry and get concerned that you don't make money, you lose money. And it's the people who are convincing you to trade frequently who make the money. To me, it just sounds like you're shooting the messenger, too. I mean, it's just a tool. Robinhood's just a tool. I mean, if you don't day trade, if you just use it to do the same type of uh, investing that that they think is... is I don't believe that Warren Buffett, for one second for one second, is trying to prevent people from having the same advantages as Wall Street. Right. At that's all. A, that's At all. A weird th- well, think- Andrew, that's the same thing that we get when, with, from these people, that we're, like, protecting the status. We have, I, I've but never... What we, but, like, what we've, but what we've said over what it and is. over it's again... It's just the short-term even, stuff. It's the short-term even, but, Reddit right, mobs. But, and, but here's the point. Even Ken Griffin has said... It isn't it isn't when it comes to this kind of trading, the true sort of day trading, it isn't a level playing field. It really isn't. And, and I think Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger have have said that uh, more articulately and frame that issue better than just about anybody in the world over the past uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 years that they've been writing these letters and having these meetings and talking about these issues. And so to frame it that way for Robin Hood to say, oh, you're being prevented uh, from participating is crazy. It's crazy because the level field is not it isn't a level playing field from the get go. And that's what he's saying. And that's what he's been trying to warn people about. And he should be. And if you want to send me tweets and tell me I'm terrible, that's fine, too. Oh, I might. do that. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> as, nothing, as Charlie, I as Charlie Munger would say about I anything, leave the criticism to others. Can I do that about I anything that the- or, or about uh, specifically this? I got a lot of others about anything or just this. Can I send the tweets? You can send about whatever you like. But I was going to say the best line of the oh, whole man, thing, take me Becky, and, and, and Becky solicited it. Can you help me was when I think it was at the end of the, the crypto, the sort of crypto rant that Charlie went on. And he said, but I'll leave the criticism to others. And I just thought I, I laughed. I fell right. off the floor. <laughs> Coming up, who's next to lead Berkshire Hathaway? Succession and keeping a Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger culture. Well, but that's absolutely true. But I would say this decentralization won't work unless you have the right kind of culture accompanying it. More from Los Angeles and virtually when Squawk Pod returns right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. For those who tuned in to the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting on Saturday, careful viewers were rewarded with an unexpected bit of news. 
who will be the next CEO of the company. Becky Quick was there facilitating shareholder questions, and here she is on a question asked about whether the company, which has more than $800 billion in assets, is too complex to manage. They were talking about the culture at Berkshire, and Charlie made a comment about how the culture is going to be just fine because Greg, he said, will keep the culture. Well, but that's absolutely true. But I would say this decentralization won't work unless you have the right kind of culture accompanying it. Yeah, but we do. Yeah, we do. But and and Greg it's dependent is, on it. And I Greg, mean. Will, Greg will keep the culture. Dun, dun. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty simple statement. But for longtime Berkshire watchers, they all took that as a clue that that means Greg's going to be the next CEO. Um, I asked Buffett about it after, after the meeting. Um, because at this format of the meeting, I'm only allowed to ask the questions that shareholders send in. <laughs> um, after the meeting, got the chance to ask him about it. And he said, yeah, you know, it's Charlie said what in effect the board is unanimously in, in favor of. Um, and he said, look, it, it's always been the case at Berkshire. They've always had somebody that they knew that the board was in agreement on. If something were to happen to him tonight, that tomorrow that person would be in charge. And right now that person is Greg Abel. Um, he said, if something were to happen to Greg Abel, you know, heaven forbid, I think he said, that person would be a Jane. And he said, part of it was age consideration because Greg Abel, I think, is 59. A Jane is 69. And that 10 year difference makes a difference at this stage of life because what they would like to see is a, is a Berkshire CEO who has at least a 20 year runway to run the company. Um, but he had high praise for both Greg and Ajit. And, you know, those are his lieutenants who are really doing the day-to-day operations of running that entire business right now. Born 88, 88, 80, 87, 90. 80. Is he 90 90. He's 90. 90 years young. He's 90. And Charlie Munger is 97. Well, that's what I mean. So Warren's figuring, you know, 10, 12 years from now, you know, maybe it'll be Greg Abel. I don't know. I, I mean, that's... that's maybe. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, who knows? You, you, you know, but right. you know, Charlie's still a, going strong. But, but yeah, that's interesting. If, yeah. if but the, the other part of this on the culture side, Becky, his son is still planning to become the chairman, right? Wouldn't that be the be, yeah. be the plan that's to happen? That's my understanding in, in, of it. Yeah. yeah, that's what I always thought in terms, exactly. in terms of trying to maintain the yeah. the culture of the company. Right. right. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I think, it, it, you know, look, culture is pretty important. It has to come from a lot of different places. And I think Berkshire's been very careful about keeping people there who understand that culture. Ajit Jain, same story. These are people who understand the culture of Berkshire. I would say the same about Todd and Ted, the money managers who are there, too. Um, and Buffett did make some additional comments on that this weekend, just um, during the meeting, saying things that, you know, the culture, the people who stay there are the people who understand the culture and who are part of that and who get it. They all love Berkshire. And, and, and that's a big part of how the company operates. It's an interesting thing to think about when you talk to two corporate leaders who are 90 and 97 um, to to be thinking about succession plans pretty seriously. You, you got a chance to talk to them uh, the day after the shareholders meeting to reflect a bit on the questions that they received and just the experience of doing the shareholders meeting for so many decades. First of all, I think they were both really happy to have had the chance to be on stage together. You know, they're, they're friends for over 60 years at this point and great friends and business partners and they really admire each other. And I think it was just a, a great kick for both of them to get to hang out, spend the weekend together and 
do their thing and take these questions because they they don't put any, not that they don't, they put thought and thought into each of it. I know each of them thinks about what they're planning on saying. We don't give them the questions. They don't know any of that ahead of time and they don't rehearse it with each other either. So I think that's part of the fun for them is to see what the other one's going to say to some of these questions. And um, you can tell they just get a kick out of it. Um, They like the, the surprise and the wittiness and the irreverence that they each kind of bring to the table. <laughs> well, the questions were the best they've ever been. It, it went perfectly. And, and one of the reasons it was perfect is Charlotte didn't have to do anything. We have people around us that just are amazing. That's one of the luxuries of our lives is that we get to work with people we really, really like. And they're also a terrific ability. So they pull this off. And uh, and we have fun, and uh, like Charlie says, the, the questions are excellent. You can tell that we like to talk, so what could be better? <laughs> and that's Squawk Pod for today. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Subscribe to Squawk Pod on your favorite podcast platform and support us for a Webby People's Voice Award. Head to CNBC.com slash vote Squawk Pod by May 6th to be part of the awards honoring the best of the Internet. And thanks for listening. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.